Monday morning in Las Vegas. Just after 8 o'clock, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you from the Wisden. I gave it a name. The Wiz Den. No longer Spencer's studio. The Wiz Den. Uh, we're located basically at the 95 and Jones Boulevard. And, uh, we are here because we have been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bancorp studio until further notice due to COVID protocol. Joining me on the show is social media director Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. No, you don't have the Wiz. Oh, man, he forgot to queue up his own theme music today but he does have his own theme music and producing today's show social distancing back in the fox sports resident maker studio chris magnum chapman who aside from producing a number of shows at lotus broadcasting on espn radio uh the leader also on raider nation radio and of course here on fox sports radio he is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. Uh, the show is also streaming live on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and the uh, and um, YouTube. The page is called Outline. That's O U T T A L I N E, and you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Outline Fox LV is the handle. Since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio line is seven zero two eight seven six thirteen forty. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you can turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada on tap. Vegas Golden Knights 2-2 two and two in the preseason. But that is not the big news of the day. Somebody was tweeting yesterday, and sometimes tweeting as innocent as it sounds we know can be uh, pretty large. And I think this one just might be. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Also, UNLV on the road at UTSA, a 4-0 team, now a 5-0 team. UNLV competitive for the second week in a row. But – um. There's no, uh, you know, I, there's no consolation prize when you lose. I don't care how close the game is. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mark Royo, pretty unhappy. Um, we, we had some tape on that. We can't find it. But uh, anyways, um, I'll tell you about the post-game press conference. It was definitely, uh, to say the very least, interesting. The Las Vegas Aces. We got Aces up with Spencer, the Wiz Ostrowski. And joining the show in just a few minutes will be uh, Paloma Villacana. She is with Fox 5, and she is also the host of the Reb Zone. I'm sure she'll be able to fill us in on the Aces and also about UNLV. Uh, again, we'll talk about both those things. The Aces, again, one and one in their series with the Phoenix Mercury, and they've got a big game three today at noon, pivotal game in Phoenix. Uh, pretty cool, too. CP3 donated like 500 tickets to guarantee us some, they'll have some decent amount of fans in the stands there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And um, the Raiders on the road, 3-0, perfect after three weeks. Tough one against Miami last week, but uh, 
to go to San Diego this week. San Diego might be two and one, but they are truly a formidable foe and going to be tough in the AFC you West. Said San Diego, San, Los <laughs> Angeles. Well, I'm still still a faux pas. You are right, Spence. Thanks for correcting me there. We've got two teams in Los Angeles again, except it's not the Rams and the Raiders. It's now the Rams and the Chargers, and they will be in LA to play the Chargers. And one of the hottest and uh, second-year quarterbacks in the league right now, Justin Herbert. Um, a great quarterback said something really cool about him on ESPN last week. I'll tell you what that was. Also, we'll talk a little bit about the Lions game. You saw that I was in Detroit last week and attended a, a record-breaking game at Ford Field. And, of course, it was a record broken um and it was against the detroit lions they're famous for dubious records we'll talk about that as well a little bit later on we've got week four in the nfl tom brady returning to new england today that'll be interesting we've got that we'll pull spencer and i'll give you our picks of the week as well and the aviators game man on friday was canceled and uh pretty it was in reno but they canceled the end of the season not sure exactly why well i do kind of know but we'll talk about that if we get time and man what about major league baseball spencer four teams down after 161 games, you got four teams that today could all end up in a four-way tie for the last two playoff spots, uh, two wild cards, I should say, in uh, the American League. Really, really kind of cool. And, man, just a great day of sports, a great weekend of sports. We'll talk all about that. Uh, that is what's on tap today if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighbor at a time. And again, right now, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 toward closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home financing program available in the state of Nevada when it comes to a purchase. Call 702-964-5720 for details. Spence, what's going on, man? Good job on the show last week. I thought you did well. Uh, you know, enjoyed it. And of course, Bill Lambeer, man, always fun to talk to. Yeah, I thought we had him on at a great time. He seemed to enjoy the show. And I, I thought it went really well, too. It was fun going over some power rankings. And honestly, I think they ended up pretty well. And I think we had a good discussion around it. No, we did. And, uh, you know, Bill Lambeer, when he was playing there on game day, he didn't even like himself. So it was, it's pretty, he's a, definitely a different guy now. But he was pretty animated in the post game press conference, Spence. And I think you got a little bit of tape on that. We'll play in a minute. Um, you don't hear a lot of coaches bashing referees. And I actually walked out of there thinking the officials did a decent job in the game. I really did. I thought they held their composure. I thought they could have teed up Billy a few times. They didn't. We'll talk all about that with uh, Paloma Villacana, too. I want to get her thoughts on that in just a few minutes. But let's start right off, man. Let's get going. Uh, Magnum back in the studio. I'll get his opinion on this, although I know he's going to clam up on some of the things. He's a very politically correct guy where I am not. So uh, go ahead and hit it, Spence. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Here this way, but yesterday, uh, Robin Leonard made use of social media, man. He was on Twitter, and... Um, Man, he's making news, and again, it was uh, about NHL teams that he has played for, uh, accusing them of handing out painkillers. I don't have to need to mention, you know, the painkillers that he was talking about. All that's going to come out, and you can see it on Twitter. But he was saying they were giving it to players without prescriptions. He did say uh, the Vegas Golden Knights were not one of those teams, so I want to clear that up right away. But Leonard made the allegations on Twitter yesterday in an effort, he told ESPN, to call attention to the surgery stalemate between his former teammate Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know. Mags, I know you don't want to talk a lot about it. We don't like speculating, so we won't speculate. We'll only talk about the facts that that was tweeted out by Robin Leonard. The NHL really hasn't made a statement yet regarding what he tweeted out. He's obviously going to bat for Eichel, his good friend and former teammate with the Buffalo Sabres. But that's a hell of an accusation to make, Mags, and especially right now when we're on the eve of starting a brand new season. Yeah, it's it's obviously a, a very serious uh, case of of uh, what's what's being reported. And Drew Wheeler, uh, who I guess covers the Flyers, he tweeted out that they were involved in giving current Golden Knight Nolan Patrick uh, all sorts of painkillers and things like that. And Robin Leonard did chime in. Um, the, the The reality on my end is I don't know enough about the situation. I I certainly don't know enough about the Philadelphia Flyers situation. I haven't gotten a chance to, to, to know Nolan Patrick. Um, he seems like a guy who's going to keep things very close to the vest. I don't I don't foresee Nolan Patrick speaking out about this, and, and I could be totally wrong on that. But you know, Robin Leonard obviously did get involved and, and he made some comments. But like I said, I don't I don't know all the facts. So until I know a lot more, I'm going to really refrain from from commenting any further because I I just don't know. And this is a very serious thing, and I just. I don't feel comfortable discussing it because I, I like I said, Brian, I, I just really don't know enough about the situation. So, you know, as more comes out, obviously we'll, we'll be able to speak about it a bit more. And Robin Leonard is going to be meeting with the NHL. Apparently uh, David Shane from the RJ, a good friend of, of mine tweeted that out this morning. So uh, he he's obviously very close to the situation and knows a bit more than, than myself, but uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see what comes out of that meeting between Robin Leonard in the NHL. Yeah, David Shane's been on the show before. We'll have him on again soon as as we you know this gets further investigated. Uh, the one fact is this is Robin Leonard on Twitter yesterday. Is it common for workplaces to give out benzodiazepines? I believe is the way it's pronounced to employees when they travel and Ambien. There now I've said what he what it, what it was, but this is from his tweet. Should that not be done by doctors or a psychiatrist asking for a friend? This blank doesn't happen in Vegas, to be clear. But I know many other teams. I also been on teams that do. That's the fact that we know, and that's all we know. And as Chris said, other than what David Shane uh, tweeted out this morning, saying that Robin Leonard will be meeting with um, you know NHL officials, which is no surprise. I think we all saw that coming. He spent time with the Ottawa Senators, the Buffalo Sabres, the New York Islanders, and the Chicago Blackhawks. So you know at least some of those teams, and based on the fact that he that his buddies from the Sabres, you could speculate as well of what teams he's talking about. Uh, I'm glad he said the Knights weren't involved in that, so at least that eliminates some media drama here. But again, as you mentioned with Nolan Patrick, that's going to be a problem, Chris. And, you know, Leonard's only played in one game, and that was Thursday in L.A. A couple of periods, gave up two goals and 18 shots, didn't look bad, didn't look great. And, uh, you know, he's the heir apparent right now, 30 years old, and he's the man that's supposed to lead him between the pipes in the majority of the games this year. And the only thing I don't like about it, Chris, is, hey, you know, I, 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 I don't like people, you know, I, I don't, 
if you want to be a martyr, be a martyr. That's fine. What I don't like is it's on the eve of the season. The Golden Knights just don't need this extra publicity and this kind of publicity. This isn't what you want to be talked about right now. So that is bothersome to me. I'm going to let it go. Like like Chris said, as, uh, as we get more facts on this as the time goes past, I'm sure this will be discussed all over the place, and we'll definitely talk about it here more on Out of Line in the future. But, um, Chris, getting to the team itself right now, you know, the regular season, we're just a 10 day, uh, what, nine days away now when they will open the season at home against the new expansion Seattle Kraken at T-Mobile Arena. I'm really looking forward to that. How cool the newest expansion team going up against the most recent one. I know Seattle would die to have the success the Knights had. Probably not going to see it. I don't think we'll ever see anything like what the Knights did in their first four years again in our lifetimes, if ever. I mean, it's something that's never been done. It was like I, I say to everyone, I said it yesterday at a, at an event I went to. I, I, I'm, I feel so honored and blessed that I got to just be around that. Being from Detroit and such a big hockey fan it's been incredible but chris two and two um in you know in the preseason so far coming off of a four to nothing shutout friday night against the king some good goaltending in that game um what are you expecting and what do you think that pete DeBoer, um kelly mccrimmon and even bill foley is expecting out of this team this year well i know that that Pete DeBoer wasn't too happy with the first couple of preseason games that they played. I mean, obviously it's a preseason and I think maybe, you know, it's speculation on my end, but I think maybe Pete was thinking that some of the guys were just going through the motions, which I guess is understandable in the, in the preseason. Now you you've had a lot of guys get cut, sent back to Henderson. Basically half of the team that was in training camp is, is, is either been sent back to juniors or sent back to training camp uh, with, with Henderson, uh, things are going to start to get a little more serious now. You've got you've got a couple of uh, preseason games left. Uh, they go to Colorado on Tuesday. Currently, team is is off today. They were off yesterday. I believe they're uh, at Bill Foley's ranch up in Montana. A little team building and bonding going on up there. Uh, look, the the reality is you're going to start to see things pick up now. Uh, you mentioned the game Robin Leonard did play on Thursday night. That was in Salt Lake City. Uh, not a very good performance by by really anybody that night and uh you know it could have just been a thing of look it's it's preseason and you've got a mix you've got guys who aren't comfortable playing with each other la they played a lot of youngsters in that game uh friday night things were a little bit better well i, I guess i should say a lot better golden knights get a four nothing shutout Laurent brassois with 39 saves in that game and he was spectacular especially at the end he made a comment that you know Right off the bat, he was forced to make a, a breakaway save, and he kind of joked that that's really not the first kind of save you want to make as a goalie in a game. You, you kind of like to get warmed up a little bit, but it kind of set the tone for the night for Laurent Boissois. And I'll be honest, I, I think he was a guy who was really good in, in Winnipeg. He was just kind of overshadowed by the fact that he was backing up a, a Vezina Trophy winner and maybe the best goalie on the planet, at least one of them, in Connor Hellebuck. Um, you know, he's a guy who could have won the Hart Trophy a couple years ago. So... Brassois was a bit overshadowed there, and, you know, he, he he's a guy who, when he was forced to play, he played pretty well, especially considering that Winnipeg really didn't have much of a of, of a blue line at the time. He comes here now, he's going to have maybe one of the best blue lines in the NHL with Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore and Braden McNabb and, and obviously Zach Whitecloud and a couple of other guys are going to be in that mix as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I think we're going to see – a, a, a real concerted effort to make the power play better. Um, they brought in Yevgeny Dodonov in order to get that done. They brought in Nolan Patrick, who's been playing a lot on the power play in the preseason. 
I think Dodonov is going to be the X factor here. He's a guy who, who who has scored 25 goals in the league when he was with Florida. Obviously, last year, a very weird situation for him. And, uh, you know, he, he hasn't made any excuses for it, which which I like. But the reality is I think we could all understand what the guy was going through. Look, he, he, he went from Florida to Ottawa. His wife and kids were unable to join him in Ottawa because of the border restrictions with Canada and the United States at the time, and I'm assuming with Russia as well. I'm not sure if his wife was still in Florida or if she was in Russia at the time. But obviously, you know, there's a lot of stress involved in that, and anyone who has a family can certainly sympathize and understand that situation. I think Dodonov is going to be the X factor. Look, if the reality is, Brian, if he's able to get going on the power play and he's effective on the power play, which is what they brought him in to do, this team is going to be really tough to beat because I think – you, you look at the way the season ended, and it came down to just not being able to score goals at the end of the season again, which is what happened in Dallas. It, it, it almost cost them in the Vancouver series before they got to Dallas two years ago. I think the power play is, is something that they're really, really emphasizing. And, you know, I, I think regular season, they, they, they should be able to just go through the Pacific. I don't really see too many teams outside of maybe – Vancouver, Vancouver is my pick to finish second in the Pacific, by the way. I know a lot of people have Edmonton there. I just think Vancouver is going to be better, and I think Demko is going to, going to be really good for them this year. But they should win the division pretty comfortably. Then it, it kind of sets up, all right, Colorado maybe in the Western Conference Final again, and they're going to be hungry. They're going to, they're going to be pissed about the way their season ended. Certainly, they're going to bring it, and, and if, that, if we get, I mean, we're looking way down the road, but the Golden Knights, the key will be the power play. If they can score goals on the power play, they're going to be really, really, really tough to beat. Well, you got them already in the conference finals against Colorado, although I will say their division is uh, is definitely really friendly. I love the restructuring. I think it definitely favors the Vegas Golden Knights, but I'm not so sure, Chris. I mean, to me, the X factor, I like the Donoff, and I think you are exactly right. He is here to, to shore up the power play and to put more points on the board. But again, Chris, if guys like Mark Stone do not produce in the postseason, they'll go nowhere again. You can't have your captain who was was labeled and touted, and I agreed and said it all over. He's one of the most unsung players in the NHL because he is a great player, and people don't talk enough about it. You know, you hear about, you know, you're hearing about the, the top-notch stars where I thought Mike Stone is right there with him, and then Mark Stone, excuse me, and then what does he do in the postseason? He disappears six shots on goal total against Montreal. Wouldn't cut the mustard. We, I was talking about this yesterday. I was in a, 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 another, another friend, a very good friend of mine. I don't mind mentioning his name on the show, Brian Shapiro. We read his uh, viewing thing for his radio show yesterday. They had a, a listener appreciation, and we got into a big argument about all this stuff. And I was excited. He got my blood boiling. I got an argument about Mark Andre Fleury that those guys all thought him leaving was terrible and the way the Golden Knights went about it. I said the way the Golden Knights went about it wasn't right, but Mark Andre Fleury leaving and going to Chicago to me was a brilliant move for many factors. I think for Mark Andre Fleury himself, I think he'll have a very productive year because he's the kind of guy when he's shunned, he hides that chip on his shoulder as well as anybody with that smile and that UPS boy look. And then he gets between the pipes and he's a complete animal. And I think 
he's going to do that again for Chicago. He'll elevate the Blackhawks. But I think if he had stayed here, I had not heard one person mention his gaffe in the Western Conference Finals last year that, to me, I'm sorry, that changed the course of the series and cost the Golden Knights an opportunity to play Tampa Bay for the Stanley Cup. For the Stanley Cup. I, I will stick to that forever. I'm not by any means blaming Marc-Andre Fleury. If it wasn't for him, they're not even there. But again, you have to blame him for the gaffe and and ultimately the gaff cost in the series. Nobody's talking about it because Fleury's in Chicago. So I think it was a great reprieve for him to go there. It let the fans get back on the Marc-Andre Fleury bandwagon and will hide that gaff from his legacy. And that's what trading him to Chicago did. Plus, at his age, he's he played just had with the best year of his career, won the Vesna Trophy. For God's sakes, he's not going to get any better. I'm sorry, he's not getting younger. There's one Tom Brady out there, and there's one Mark Andre Fleury. And I think he'll have a good year in Chicago. I think they will be a better team because of him. But I, I think we've seen the upside of Mark Andre Fleury. He will always be the face of the Vegas Golden Knights, the initial face, the inaugural person of this team. And I think he'll be beloved forever. I'll bet they construct a statue of him at some point. That's how meaningful he was to the city of Las Vegas. But let him go in peace and understand it is professional sports. It's a business. And that was a move that made sense just as the move of 32 Ryan year old Ryan Reeves moving on made sense because you've got guys like Will Carrier, like, um, Keegan Colasar, who bring a physicality, but they also put the puck in the net. And that's what the board's looking for, scoring all around. Now, granted, a couple of years ago, Ryan Reeves had an unbelievable goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs to help move the, move the Vegas Golden Knights on. But that's not his role. And I think his role can be covered by other people. As Again, he's getting into his 30s. He'll best be served on another team. He'll be beloved here. And everyone forgets that when he first came here, Chris, they booed him. They thought that was a terrible move, bringing in a tough guy to a finesse team. And it turned out to be a great move. He was a protector. When guys like Carlson got knocked on their ass, you had to start looking out for Reeves on the fourth line because he would retaliate. I'm going to leave the story alone. I think the Knights will win their division, but I think it's going to be a tough season. I think it's all going to fall a lot of it on the shoulders of guys like Mark Stone who need to play a hell of a lot better than he did in the playoffs because really, Marc-Andre Fleury's gap overshadowed how badly he played a little bit. He needs to play real good, and and Robin Leonard is going to have to bring it or he's going to get replaced right away because it's always the last line of defense that that, that runs through the Stanley Cup Cup playoffs, and we're going to need that, and I see the homer that I am, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to need somebody really strong between the pipes. Listen, she's been on hold for a while. I want to jump right over and talk a little UNLV football. Joined right now by Fox 5 and the Reb Zones, uh, Paloma uh, Villacano. We really appreciate you joining the show. Uh, sorry for being on hold for so long, but um, <laughs> you're here now. So how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm working. I'm up early working. You know me, Sunday mornings, it's like no sleep. You you just don't stop, for God's sake. Stop. You need to enjoy I your life. You're like, young still. I got to Google things like what is stronger than coffee? What is stronger than Red Bull? Like how many hours <laughs> of well. sleep do I need to function? You know? <laughs> Oh, I, I believe me, I do. Well, you saw my text start coming about four o'clock in the morning, so you know what I'm doing too. I'm as I'm, sick as you are, Paloma. Exactly. But, I'm like, but, oh, by noon, by one, by two, my eyes are like bloodshot red. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you, you know what, and 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 it shows in the work that you do. You know, you came here from the deep south. You saw some incredible football in in the southern United States. You know, down in Louisiana, Alabama, where you see some of the best 
college football played in the country. And then you move here and you find out, hey, you know, Fox 5, I'm going to be doing the Reb Zone and uh, talking about UNLV football. And you got to get yourself, you know, you know, equated with uh, UNLV football. You do. And you find out you've got one of the most difficult coaches to work with in college football. And I'm sorry, I don't mean that in a negative way. What I mean, <laughs> difficult to work with. The guy doesn't talk to you. He doesn't return text messages. He doesn't come on radio shows. And I'm sorry, I'm tired of it because it's an 0-5 team and you haven't endeared yourself to the media. And when your team is bad, although I think UNLV is much improved from last year, they're still bad. You want to endear yourself to the media, especially to someone like you that's hosting a show specifically yeah. to promote UNLV, <laughs> and he doesn't. And I mean, I joke around all the time. I say it would be easier for me to get Nick Saban on this show than it would Marcus Arroyo. <laughs> and Paloma, does that make any sense? I mean, I think there's there's a lot to talk about with this football team and in every angle of, of this new program. And for me as a reporter – I've never covered a team where it's completely brand new. They're starting this thing up from scratch. You know, I'm on a show for the very first time with a brand new coach who's a head coach for the very first time. So this is kind of new for me, new for him, I think. And it's kind of fun navigating the red zone because I've never covered a head coach who is a brand new head coach for the very first time. Uh, starting his program so uh, to to start this new adventure in Vegas um, it's been a challenge it really has been a challenge but it's made me a better reporter a better host a better person just through the adversity that I'm you know every single week I'm reporting on a loss and how do I talk to a coach respectfully and, and get his opinion and, and his honest opinion. And I actually appreciate Coach Arroyo, you know, coming on my show every week, really breaking down the game um, and telling me his his candid, honest opinions about his youth on his team and, and the inexperience. And now a very, very banged up UNLV football team where basically every starter left and right is out of the game and he's pulling up third string, fourth string guys, freshmen, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I feel like you could throw anything at the UNLV football team right now and they're going to go out there and play with what they got. Well, you know, they're, they're like I said, they're competitive the last two games, but you're giving Royal a little too much credit. He is required to be on your show, kind of. And uh, not, it's not like the coach's show, but he's kind of required to be on the rep zone. It is named after him. It's on Fox. And, uh, you know, plus the, the UNLV would kill him if they didn't do it. He's got to do the show. So that being said, you know, he is, he is gracious enough to do that. So I'll give him credit but he kind of has to. And as far as them being hurt, yes, they've been hurt. But, yes, you know, yesterday they were in this game right until the end. You know, it came down to the last drive in the fourth quarter, and when they were on the 36-yard line, fourth and 10. You know, and they seemed to get right. They, they drove the ball right down the field, and then they kind of stalled right around, you know, the 36-yard line. But, um, you know, how much do you think, and one of the things, you know, I'll just talk about real quickly, six-year senior guard Julio Garcia kind of lost his composure. He got ejected yeah. in the fourth quarter after a second, um, you know, a second uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Arroyo ripped him pretty bad in the postgame press conference. Matter of fact, he called him cancer. Like, we got to cut out the cancer. I don't think he's going to get rid of Julio Garcia. He can't afford to. We saw that without him in there. But how much did that change the game on the final drive? And do you think 
that UTSA still gets that sack. It was like a jailbreak on fourth down if Julio Garcia is in there because he's the leader, 60-year senior. Yeah, I mean, the O-line struggled last night. I think uh, Cam was sacked six times, if mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Um, yep, You know, they, str- they struggled last night. And, and, yeah, I mean, when you are as limited to your starters right now, you know, every every play, every inch, every everything matters. So, yeah, I mean, Julio, with his penalties, like, it, 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 was, it hurt them. For sure it hurt them. Um, but the O-line, you know, they've, they've – Coach Arroyo has made adjustments this season, but they've struggled this year for sure. The O-line has struggled. Doug has been banged up. Cameron's getting banged up. Um, You know, Justin Rogers threw his first touchdown pass of the season last night. So it's like, okay, at least they have one quarterback who's not hurt yet. You know, Tate Martell is still dealing with his foot. So you got Doug with his, you know, his back and everything he's going through. And his knee. His knee, yeah, Tate's got his foot. Um, Cameron Friel got a little banged up last night with his left knee. So, um, yeah, I mean, every every position right now for UNLV is, um, you know, someone's banged up. And, and it's the next man up. And, hey, at least they have this bye week, you know, coming at a crucial time. Because um, it, it only gets harder. I mean, they, they dive into Mountain West play, uh, Utah State, on October 16th. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy road for the next couple months. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Utah state coming off two straight losses after winning their first three games. Uh, they're going to be a little bit salty and hungry when they come into, uh, Allegiant stadium on the 16th of, uh, October. And, you know, you mentioned Justin Rogers. Yes, he did get his first touchdown pass, but I always say when guys come off the bench, not prepared to come in the game, they're kind of loose. They don't have time to think about the situation. And that's the way he played. He played much looser than he's played in the previous appearances. I think if he finds out he's the starter of the game, we'll see what we saw before. I don't think he's a guy that can lead this team to the first victory that they so desperately are seeking. I do think Cameron Friel can do it. The guy had a pretty good game yesterday and had one really good highlight that Spencer has right here for us through a 63 yard touchdown pass to another guy who had a really good game yesterday. Um, You know, receiver, we talk about a couple of wide receivers on this team, but, um, this this was a pretty pretty exciting play and uh, probably the highlight of the season so far for the Rebels. UTSA goes up early 7-0, to zero, but UNLV answers. Cameron Friel, he has a long TD pass to a wide open Steve Jenkins. Nothing but a green C in front of him to knot it up at 7. UTSA and fans did not like that one. Well, that wasn't quite the highlight, but that was from ESPN kind of talking about the play. And, um, you know, what what it was was, you know, Jenkins had a great game, over 100 yards receiving. He played really well. And as we mentioned, Friel played well as he could, over 300 yards passing that one touchdown. But he was sacked, as you mentioned, Paloma, six times. They've got to keep him out of the backfield. You can't keep having these quarterbacks hurt. But I really think what I've seen. And again, I'm just not sure with Tate Martell. I know now there's another injury with him, you know, recovering from the thumb surgery. But the bottom line is, I'm wondering, you know, I, I think Doug Brumfield's a guy, and I'll state that right here I th- from what mm-hmm. I've seen, from the little I've seen of Martell. But Paloma, what's going on with Martell? I mean, the guy didn't make it at Ohio State. Obviously, it's not easy to make it at Ohio State. Didn't make it at Miami. Miami's not the program it used to be, but still a very big time program. But now he's here at UNLV where he won High School Player of the Year out of Bishop Gordon. 
Foreman. I mean, he was the top recruit in in high school when he came out, and he has really not panned out at the collegiate level. Is is he, you know, just, uh, you know, is he a bust? I mean, what, what do you think? Well, I just feel like he's he's gotten into some bad luck. He came into camp injured. He he got to UNLV injured um, with his right thumb on his throwing hand. So he entered fall camp limited in practice, not cleared to play, um, not cleared to practice. So Tay, Tay has had to wait. And, and I feel bad for the kid because I know he's super competitive. And I know he's watching these football games and I know he's seeing his guys banged up and he's probably on the couch like, you know, I wish I could be playing out there, you know. So we saw a little bit of him in the Iowa State game. We saw what he could do with his feet, how he moves the ball. He's quick. Um, seems like he he brings a spark to the offense when he's out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this kid is just now he's dealing with um, a foot injury, plantar fasciitis. Um, he's got some tissue that's inflamed on the bottom of his foot. And Coach Arroyo is, you know, really strong that he wanted to take his time with this injury, you know, make sure that, you know, Tate sits through the bye week and that it's fully healed so he doesn't mess up his foot anymore. Um, but it, it's just kind of a waiting game to see to see Tate Martell. And the kid has had a thumb injury, a foot injury, limited in practice. Um, you know, not, not being cleared to play all of that. So kind of an unfortunate start of how he transferred to UNLV, but he still has this year and one more year of eligibility. So, you know, if he, if he doesn't have the season he wants this year, there's always next year. And that's it. There is next year. He is a local guy. And I know people here were really excited when he said he was transferring to UNLV. Like, wow, we're going to have a quarterback. But then, like like I said, I was really impressed with Doug Brumfield before he went down. I think he's a tough kid. I think he's very mobile and agile, and he can also throw the football, as we've seen. Um, Paloma, last question. We'll move on. I want to get on to the the Las Vegas Aces. But what happens if this team doesn't win a game this year. What do you think happens? I mean, you know, Arroyo's got to be on the hot seat. It's the second year he was hired by departed athletic director Desiree Reed Francois. So he's not a university pick, so to speak. And uh, there's been all kinds of rumors as to why he was brought here from Oregon. I'll leave all that alone. But um, what do you think? I mean, this guy, you go, you, you, you don't win a game for two seasons. I mean, come on, that, that, that's it. How much time do you give somebody? Yeah, I mean, I've I've never, be, I mean, I've been around football my entire life, and um, I've never been with a program that has, you know, lost as many games. What is it? Eleven games now under Coach yep. Royo. Eleven games. That's right. um, <laughs> so personally, it's just like this is a new challenge for me to to continue to, um, you know, just just try and find the nuggets of 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 growth and, and positivity. Um, and, and I, and I see it, I see it a lot at practice. I see, you know, this young freshman, sophomore, his guys, I see them growing, you know, I see his receiver core getting better. Um, you know, Doug Brumfield has flashed a lot this season when he's out there and he's healthy. Um, so it, it's almost like I look at the guys he brought in and I do see a light. I do see growth and potential with his recruits. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, these, these UTSA games, these Eastern Washington games, 
Um, you know, they, they, they looked promising against Fresno State. I mean, they were in that ball game against a, a really good football team. So, you know, Coach Royal calling last night's game uncharacteristic, you know, their most undisciplined game of the season. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how you can put up such a strong performance against number 22 ranked Fresno State and then come out at UTSA and, and, and struggle all night. So um, injuries, sure. Youth, sure. But at some point, uh, <laughs> at some point, I would like to see a win. I would like to talk about a win on the Rev Zone, hopefully, this season. Well, and with Fresno State, as good as they looked at the beginning of the season, they barely beat UNLV, and they just lost to Hawaii. So maybe they're not as good as they appeared at the start of the season. I don't, you know, we won't know. Time will tell with that. Um, and also UTSA, not a slouch in the in the conference in the, in no. the division they're in. I mean, they're five and zero. They're undefeated. A, yeah. a team that is ranked in the lower division, but you know, still a game that UNLV. A, a, a UNLV team, a Mountain West team, you would think would go there and be able to win. And right. it's something that we're going to need to see in the future. And um, and the one thing is when you talk about discipline, and I'm going to leave it alone and get to the aces after this statement, but when you talk about <laughs> discipline, Coach Arroyo, that's on you, brother. Seriously. Uh, what are you blaming all of your players for? When there's a bunch of penalties, you got to go look in the mirror. And, and the, the people you're screaming at is your coaching staff, not your players, because they're the ones that put – now, granted, your players are the ones that play the game. But a lack of discipline is always is always put on the coach and that's the way I will feel forever let's get over to the aces Spencer I want you to join in on this as we do our aces up segment brought to you by residential bank corp uh, funding America one neighborhood at a time um the the aces uh Paloma you've been there covering uh, we've mm-hmm. been to the, the playoff games the first game really exciting the aces did the job they fell behind they came back with some great guard play brought kept them in the game and then of course uh they ended up winning that one got completely blown out in the second game mm-hmm. we saw two of the WNBA's best players in Brittany Griner and an aging and banged up Diana Taurasi just go off and have one of the best mm-hmm. games of her career in the WNBA and hobbled this time she didn't come to the post game press conference in a booty with her ankles you know locked up because she didn't want us to talk about it but she is without question ailing and just amazing how like she doesn't practice the coach that doesn't practice never does anything and just just shows up for the games and not just shows up for the game but how about 37 points in a blowout at Mandalay Bay that's pretty scary and now they've got a formidable task to go to Phoenix and they got to they got to steal one out there you know everyone seems to think they will and they'll be back here for a game five that that they'll split and I don't think it's going to be that easy I mean this Phoenix team if they come out and play like they did especially shooting 70 percent from the field and what like 95.5 percent from the line I think they missed one free throw in the entire (laughs) game they do that again they're not going to get beat yeah they were dominant dominant um against the aces this week and it was it was to me i was like wow diana tarasi is going off and she is a foot in front of me like she is i could touch her you know it was it was it was crazy to see her just just 37 points you know she was 8 and 11 from three i mean she was killing it but you know the aces said they didn't come out with a playoff mindset they weren't treating that game uh, like a playoff game, I think Asia was super frustrated in the post-game presser saying, you know, we didn't come out with the mentality we needed. We just showed up. You know, we weren't in it. We weren't locked in. We can't, can't be playing like that and coming out with that attitude against this Phoenix team because they have depth. 
and they are super, super good. And yeah, I mean, they, they have a challenge ahead of them in Phoenix for sure, because now they have to go. Yeah. Squeeze one out in Phoenix with, with Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi and Skylar Diggins-Smith and that whole team. So, um, you know, I, I have faith in my aces. I think, I think they'll pull one out, but man, is it a challenge? And, and, you know, if they're not locked in and, and, you know, if they don't come out with that, that physicality and that hunger, you know, it'll be a steep, steep hill. I agree with you. And, and, and one thing, you know, I adore Asia Wilson. I think she is the perfect face of the WNBA. I think she's a spokesman. She's a model citizen. She's everything. But what she needs to do is she's got to play better. She really didn't show up in this last game. And they need Asia Wilson leading the charge. Yes, Liz Gambage is very fatigued. I mean, COVID, we see, took a lot out of her. I mean, she is struggling <laughs> with her, with her, um, with her, with getting oxygen. You can see it with her, with her conditioning. But um, that's not the problem. You got to have Asia Wilson. Kelsey Plum's doing her job. The backcourt is definitely doing what they need to do. They need their post players to get the job done up front and in the paint. But Bill Lambeer, even though he gave Diana to Rossi, all the credit for 37 points and talked about how great she was. BG, Brittany Griner, a great game. But Bill Lambeer blamed someone else for, for, for the loss. A little kind of blamed uh, another entity for the loss. Uh, I will say that I'm getting a little tired of the referees and the way they referee us versus the other team. Uh, they treat us like we're champions. When we get a champion's whistle, we're not. We're trying to win our first one. Why treat us like that? Why put them in the game? Why the first game was we took them like fifteen? Were we going to win this game? Probably not. But we just give us some respect. Um, they blew a whistle today that before the foul even happened, they anticipated it happening, and they blew it. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, you know what's crazy is Paloma. I watch. I I I was watching the same game. I thought Bill could have been teed up. <laughs> two or three times during the game. And I yeah. honestly thought the officials did a good job. I didn't think they did a good job in game one, the game they won. And last game, I thought they did a really good job. They they maintained composure. And, I mean, Diana Tarazzi and Brittany Griner went off. That's what happened. Yeah. And Asia Wilson didn't play at the top of her game. Liz Gampage was fatigued. And, you know, they just, they, they, I mean, you blinked and it was like 11 to nothing. I mean, that's the way it was. And they never recovered from it like they did the first game. The one thing for sure is they realize, and if they didn't realize that they need to, they can't fall behind in games, it, you, especially that far behind against a team with the capability of the Phoenix Mercury and the players they have on this team, two of the best in college, maybe two of the best, you know, two of the best former college players, and maybe two of the best in professional basketball history. I mean, Brittany Griner is young, and she is due to do nothing but get better, and Diana Tarazzi's career is as storied as it gets, men or women's basketball, and that's what happened they just they just yeah. went off it wasn't and they and they, they you know like i said 70 percent. but you know what did you think did you think the officiating was that bad well it was really slowing down the aces game like you could see on the sideline the girls were you know jumping up and down trying to run trying to stay warm and everything and i think that messed with their flow their chemistry their you know their stamina like stopping every every play um you know i was like this game is taking forever. <laughs> it was a long game. Let's I'll go. give you that. And then they would resume play and boom, you know, Tarasi, three. Tarasi, back-to-back three. I'm like, oh, damn. Like, it, it, they're coming out hot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see why Bill was frustrated, but also they didn't respond. They would come out and they didn't respond to, 
to Phoenix. So. No, I agree. And, you know, with, with Lambeer, you know, I, I love that uh, as animated as Bill is, he's so, so much different as a coach than he was as a player. Like I said at the beginning of the show, as a player, there were times that he didn't even like himself on game day. So, you know, now he is, yeah. he is much more calm and more relaxed. But, you know, he sits there, he's direct, he answers the questions, he handles himself eloquently after a loss. I thought he really did a good job after the loss of handling himself and answering all the questions and, uh, you know, poking fun at the officials a little bit, not so much fun but I, I still like I said I thought that you can't blame them you got to shore up your defense and again very rarely are you going to see a team shoot over 50% like the Aces didn't lose the game it might have slowed it down a little bit and I agree with you there when I look at that element of it but again you know it was just it was the Mercury's night and they were not going to be denied and that's what we all saw watching that game I do think the Aces will win one in Phoenix and I do think there'll be a game five at Mandalay Bay, but don't count, you know, like it is, it is still a tremendous hurdle. And the last thing I'll say about that is I thought Bill Embiid had it backwards with officials. Champions don't, they get champion calls, meaning they don't get fouls called against them. So when you're a champion, you don't get bad calls against you. It's not when you're a champion, you're giving championship calls. I, I thought it was backwards. My whole life, you hear that complaint that like LeBron <laughs> doesn't get the calls because of who he is. He doesn't get extra calls because of who he is. So, you know, I thought that was a little bit backwards. It, Bill is saying, like, we're not being treated like a champion. That would have been more, and you're not yet, but maybe there will be. Listen, she is Paloma Vilcano. She is from Fox 5, Reb Zone. Check her out. You do a great job with what you do, and we're happy to have you here in Vegas. And hopefully some of that winning tradition from where you work down south, you can kind of sprinkle on Las Vegas. <laughs> we could use some at the collegiate level so. for damn sure. I hope so. <laughs> Listen, we will definitely have you on again soon. And uh, Paloma, how can everyone see you and follow you and all that? Give me your give me your contact info. I know Spencer's been putting some of it up, but go ahead and give yeah. it to him. Yeah, ten thirty every Sunday on Fox Five is when the Reb Zone airs. Um, you know, I cover the Aces, UNLV Raiders all week long on Fox Five. You can follow me at Paloma Villacana on Twitter and Instagram, and my social media is you know I'm I'm a better social media reporter than I am a TV reporter. So if you want the latest content, it's on my social media. So. Uh, hey, I think you do great at both of them, Paloma, not giving yourself enough credit. Uh, you'll, you and, and we'll have you on next time to talk about the Raiders. We'll be talking about them in a few minutes here, but we'll, I definitely want to get your thoughts down the road on them as well. Thanks so much for, uh, I, I know you're awake anyways, but for joining the show this morning, <laughs> giving us some of your time on a Sunday morning. Thanks. See you guys. Absolutely. Spence, uh, it took a long time, but great stuff. I, I think she does a phenomenal job, and uh, and she really fits in well here in the media. Um, real quickly, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. Capping uh, the top 25, do you know, Spencer, that um, what's crazy is this season, 34 losses by AP-ranked teams. It's the most through five weeks in history all time and again six more yesterday people are considering that notre dame you know a tr tremendous upset it wasn't a huge upset it was a small one i mean cincinnati is a really good team but notre dame was down 17 to nothing at halftime and you got to hear this brian kelly just went off and it was i, I thought it was humorous you're evaluated for every snap that you play in this second half wearing a notre dame jersey and you're going to play it the right way or you're not going to play Period. End of discussion.
I'd like to see Brian <laughs> Kelly. I'd like to see Brian Kelly put on a helmet and get out there and play. I mean, they were playing. The bottom line is, you know what that's saying? He's saying he's, he's acting like Cincinnati is a low-level team. Cincinnati is a playoff contender, and most people, if you're smart and you've been paying attention, you've got them ranked three or four right now. So that means they are in the college football playoff. This is a really good team. Their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, he's the second player in the American Athletic Conference history with 65 touchdown passes, 25 rushing touchdowns. This kid is really good. It was funny after the game he said, that five-hour ride back to Cincinnati is going to be a lot better tonight. But it was cool. I enjoyed seeing this team. And this Cincinnati team, Spencer, they play defense. They've got probably two guys on offense that will play on Sundays eventually. This is a really good football team. No, no doubt. And uh, college football, like I said, I think last week, as this has really been one of the best seasons that I've seen in a long time. The only thing that left is for Alabama to not be so dominant because it still feels like they're a league above the rest. If you just take out Alabama, how? I mean, you would have no idea what's going to go on in the college playoffs. So, uh, yeah, no, I don't think that was a horrible loss. And, you know, football emotions run high, obviously. So when you're at halftime and you're down against anybody, I guess it's like your job's on the line. Like these poor kids are like 18, 20 years old, you know, <laughs> just trying to, you know, live I thought out a scholarship. It, yeah, Brian Kelly just like, you know, he's like, hey, you all suck basically because you're losing to Cincinnati. And I, I thought it was a little overboard. They Kids are always being evaluated in every play. You know your job's on the line every week. Unless you're a superstar, you can't have like three bad games in a row where you find yourself watching a good football game from the best seats in the house on the sidelines. But uh, it was pretty funny. The other loss is uh, Oregon, uh, a pretender. I the Pac-12 again. I don't know how Oregon goes into the horseshoe and beats Ohio State and then comes home and loses to Stanford. I mean, they got they didn't get killed, but in overtime, they lost to Stanford, an unranked team. Number three, that's going to drop them pretty heavily in the rankings, as I mentioned. Um, also, Florida, you know, God, they play that tight game against Alabama, and people are anticipating, you know, how Georgia, you know, and, and Florida just not the team that, that, that I thought they were. Kentucky beats them 20 to 13. And not that Kentucky's terrible. Kentucky's a better team than people think, but they should not be beating Florida. That's, that's a huge, huge upset. And Texas A&M loses to Mississippi State 26-22. Uh, they got to play Alabama next, and Texas A&M was all pumped up. I think they were overlooking Mississippi State and looking f- to that Alabama game, and it cost them dearly. As they'll, I don't think they'll drop out of the top 25, but they will be probably right around the 25th. And Fresno State, as we talked about, man, 18th in the country. Uh, they were looking great, and um, they, get, they get beat by Hawaii 27-24. Granted, on the road in Hawaii, but it doesn't matter. That is a game you have to win if you're a top 25 AP team. And a couple of other ones, another Pac-12 team, UCLA. I mean, we should have known when when Fresno State got to them that they weren't as good as we thought they were. And um, uh, UCLA, they they lose their second game of the season, 3-2. and Arizona State blew them out, 42-23 yesterday. And Baylor, uh, who a lot of people liked it, um, you know, at a, you know, 4-0, 4-0, they were undefeated going in, uh, ranked 21st, I believe, in the country, and um, they, uh, they they knocked off, or they lost to uh, Oklahoma State, and it's not really a huge upset, but that was a game that people felt that Baylor was going to get over the hump and be recognized as one of the nation's better team they had to win, so uh, a little bit a lot of surprises in college football this year, and it's crazy, 34 ranked teams in five weeks have fallen. That's pretty shocking. It's not the pandemic anymore. I know. It's not, it's not talent versus talent. The crowd, everything comes into factor in college football, and 
we have pent-up college football energy now. So when they're going to stadiums, it's a whole year worth of not being able to cheer for their teams. I, I agree. Spencer, time is so limited. I just got to, before we talk about the Raiders last week, the Lions game, of course, everyone's heard about it by now. Justin Tucker, uh, you know, you can't argue he's the GOAT as far as kickers go in the NFL. I think it's uh, really close between him and Matt Prater, but Matt Prater held the record at 64 yards. Justin Tucker exceeded that by two. I was there at Ford Field last week. I did a bunch of shows after being there because um, I was just in absolute shock at what I saw. And everyone talks about the the um, the missed penalty on the play clock, and the play clock did expire. It should have been delay a game. It would have moved it back five yards. He wouldn't have even tried a 71-yard field goal. It would have been a Hail Mary. So that was gigantic, and, of course, the kick. But none of that should have happened because, you know, in the postgame press conference, Lamar Jackson basically said that, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but that that timeout called by Dan Campbell on 4th and 19 from the 14-yard line saved the game for the Ravens. 4th and 19, Detroit has one timeout. Baltimore has none. That Detroit had just held them and sacked him twice, just got done sacking on third down. It's fourth and 19, no timeouts. All they have is the play clock. He did go out of bounds, so he did have the full play clock with no time running, but 26 seconds to go in the game, and Dan Campbell calls a timeout. He's getting... Lamar Jackson was completely gassed from running all over the field. The offensive linemen had their heads down and their hands on their hip, and the guy calls a timeout, and Jackson said he went over to the sideline. It changed everything. It gave the times coaches to evaluate it. One of the coaches came in and said, hey, the Lions will only rush three. That's what they do. It's exactly what they did. Changed the play. The rest is history, and I've already lost all respect for Dan Campbell. Get him the hell out of Detroit. I'm done with him. How do you make a coaching blunder like that? Calling a timeout, and then on top of that, when when Justin Tucker lines up for the 66-yard field goal. He doesn't have a timeout to ice him. You wait till right when he gets in, it's all set, and then you can call that timeout. On a 66-yarder, icing him may have worked, but none of that. It's all hindsight, another record against the Detroit Lions. The one good thing is my grandson probably won't be on this planet by the time that 66-yard record is broken. So I saw something that will last probably at least the rest of my lifetime. So I guess I can relish in that. That's about all I can relish. Other than that, I was puking all the way back to the Renaissance Center in my hotel Spencer, as we run out of time, the Raiders, we'll call it the silver and black um, Raiders 3-0, and man. I don't think anyone thought that looking at their schedule. I think we had them beating Miami, but I think I had them 1-2 and two myself coming into this game based on Baltimore and Pittsburgh as their first two games. Instead, they're 3-0, and but a huge task today against the San Diego, here I go again, against the Los Angeles Chargers, who are 2-1 and one, uh, one of the brightest stars. As a matter of fact, I said at the beginning, uh, a big-name guy, a Hall of Famer, mentioned Justin Herbert. Steve Young said that when we look back on this time, we will consider Justin Herbert as the pl- the NFL player of this generation. Real strong statement considering you got Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. I, I mean, I can, the list goes on. And wow, what a statement. But I will tell you this. The kid is playing great football, and he looks like he's here to stay for a while, barring injury. No, I mean, to me, this is the biggest game in the AFC West for the whole season, barring some sort of like, you know, week 18 type of uh, contest for the AFC West, because, you know, the Broncos are undefeated right now, but they've had the easiest schedule in the NFL, bar none. They played the three worst teams. So, they've had, you know, uh, Chargers and Raiders played some really tough games. And this is going to, if the Raiders win and go 4 0 and they win in LA, it changes everything. All right. Well, I, I think it's going to be a tough game. I don't see the Raiders winning. I would take the Chargers and the points if I'm you out there today, although I'm not going to bet that way. I want to be rooting for the Raiders. We're out of time. Tom Brady returns to New England today. That's going to be exciting. And, of course, uh, last, really quickly, 
four teams vying, the Red Sox, Yankees, Mariners, and Blue Jays. If the Red Sox and Yankees lose, the Mariners and Blue Jays win, there will be four teams, two playoff games, and then to, to decide who the two wildcard teams. And the way I believe it would break out if that happened, the Red Sox would host the Blue Jays and the Yankees would host the Mariners to see the two teams that got the wildcard. It's going to be interesting. Yankees and Red Sox do control their destiny. They both win today. Uh, they're in, and that's the way it was. Really cool. Listen, we're out of time. I'm Brian Feldman. want to thank so much Paloma Villacana for joining the show for Fox 5 and from the Reb Zone. Of course, my social media director and co-host, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski, and back in studio, Chris Magnum Chapman, who always does a great job producing the show. Appreciate all you guys. We will be back next week with Q Meyer, the sports director of uh, of um, Myers from um, you, uh, Lotus Broadcast will be joining us to talk Raiders. He does a great job if you don't ch- check him out on Raider Nation Radio. I'm out. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.